Good morning. So yesterday I went out to Carlisle Lake and I did a wedding ceremony um, for some siblings of friends. It's just like degrees of separation there. But it was really beautiful day out, really sunny. We were on the edge of Carlisle Lake and I don't know, uh, the guys will, we were at the Hazlet Cottages. So the guys, men's retreat, we know the wind that whips off that lake and we were right at the point out by cabins one and two and I had my Bible out and I had everything I was supposed to say and the marriage license and it all blew out of my Bible. I caught it. I caught it, but it, I'm like, I'm going to be really loud. So if I get really loud today, it's because I was used to yesterday. Um, there's a few things I want to, I want to point out to you guys, uh, before we get into today's lesson. On the back of your bulletin, if you have a bulletin, I know there was a couple left on that table back there. Uh, there's some things coming up. Some important information, uh, there's some upcoming dates at the bottom, but just above the upcoming dates, I want to point out, there's a marriage retreat coming up. We are planning a marriage retreat. Woo! I, can I tell you how excited I am for this marriage retreat? Because we didn't have one last year, and that meant I didn't get to leave my children somewhere. That's not the only reason I'm, I'm excited for the marriage retreat, but let's be real, right? Parents, just abandon your children every once in a while, it's fun. Um, that's not what I mean. Uh, but we're going to be down at Giant City State Park. It's down by Carbondale. It's a bit of a drive, but they have some really awesome cabins. If you're not a cabin type person right in town, there are really nice hotels. Uh, so kind of mark that on your calendars. It's September 17th through the 19th, uh, just so you guys can plan ahead and be ready for that. Uh, it's going to be a really great time. Um, there's more information coming. We don't have anything really set in stone yet, but I just wanted to point that out. Something else I wanted to point out is the week of June 6th through the 11th campus is doing backyard missions while all the junior hires are out at camp. Yeah. So, uh, that is coming up. I know it wasn't last year we did it cause we couldn't do anything last year, but the year before they did a lot of stuff and it was really cool. And I'm really excited about that. Um, something really serious I want to bring up to the church right now. Uh, a lot of you know Miranda Kiffmeyer has been dealing with some sickness. Uh, she's been taking medicine for a tumor. And the medicine has taught her body to forget how to process food. And right now they're on the way to the hospital because she's severely dehydrated. Um, so we're going to take a minute. We're going to pray for Miranda. And then we're going to get into today's lesson. Uh, Heavenly Father, um, you are so awesome. Um, we are all in your hand and we trust you, Father, and we love you. Right now we want to lift up Miranda and Mike and Kim and Madison, uh, to you, Father. It's, it's, uh, a scary time when your child is sick, let alone this level of sickness, Father. And I pray that you're with the doctors. I pray that you're with the family, that, uh, you are powerful and you can do all things. And we pray for healing for Miranda. We pray that, uh, life can return to normal for her, that her body can get back to the way it was, and that restoration and healing happen, Father. And we lift them up, we pray for peace, and we pray for um, just your spirit to wash over them, Father. We love you. It's your name I pray. Amen. Uh, we've been in a, a sermon series called Mastermind, Thinking Like Jesus. And uh, the last couple of weeks... Um, well, last week and then two weeks before, Gary talked about judging people. He talked a little bit about that uh, during communion today. And 
the whole premise of this sermon series is we want to think like Christ. He's our master. He's our savior. He's our king. And as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we should want to think like our king. Today we're going to talk about forgiving like Christ. And if you have a bulletin, there are notes on the inside you can follow along, some blanks to fill out. Today I want to talk about forgiving like Christ. Now, forgiveness can be a really sensitive subject. Very sensitive subject. Because there are things that happen to people that should never happen. There are things that happen to small children that should never happen. There are things that happen to men and women that should never happen. And when I talk about forgiveness, right off the bat, I can think of a few people who are like, Mike, you're telling me I have to forgive that person for what they did. I get that. I get that. It's a really sensitive subject. And and I would love to tell you that in the three hours that I have to talk this morning, um, that we can get and cover all of this topic, right? We're not going to. We're not going to hit everything. We're not going to hit all the sensitive areas and all the easy areas. It's a starting point. It's going to be a starting point for us to start to think like the master. I want to read for you guys in the book of Matthew, chapter 18. This is like the scripture for what Jesus tells us about forgiveness. On the screen, it's going to start in uh, verse 21, but this morning I decided I needed to read before that. So we're going to get caught up to that. I'm going to start in verse 15. It says, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again, so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather as my followers, I am there among them. Okay, so Jesus just gave this great, this great idea about forgiveness. Some steps we can take, right? And I don't know if you guys know anything about the disciples, but they were idiots. Because right after Jesus just told us this great stuff, Peter asked a question. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Remember, Jesus just said, if your brother sins against you. So Jesus is talking about members of the kingdom. Should I forgive them seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then this master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. 
But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to, the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That is what my heavenly father will do to you if you were refused to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. I want to say this. There is forgiveness available from God for anyone who sins against him. There is no sin too great. You cannot miss the mark so much that God cannot forgive you. You see, in Romans 5.8, it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't while we were members of the church. It wasn't while we were holy people. It was while we were sinners. We were in our lives apart from Christ, and He came and died so that we might have life with Him. Nothing can keep you from the love of God except yourself. Nothing. This scripture that I just read is Jesus talking about how do we forgive others who sin against us. It's not necessarily how does God forgive us. We need to forgive the people who wrong us, who offend us. And it's not for them. It's for us. Many times we have been wronged and it has emotionally stripped us naked. And I know, I know the stories. Sometimes those wrongs have physically stripped us naked. And God calls us to forgive. This lesson isn't going to be easy, but it's needed. You see, forgiveness is a central theme of the Bible. It's a central theme of the gospel. It's something that we need to know how to do. It's something we need to do on a daily basis when we are offended, when we are sinned against. We need to forgive those who hurt us. Before we get into what forgiveness is, there's a, I think we need to clarify what forgiveness isn't. I know I needed this. I, 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 full confession, I stole this from somebody. <laughs> because I was like, that's too good. I need to use this. Okay, so forgiveness is not, forgiveness is not ignoring or excuse, or forgetting. I'm sorry, ignoring or forgetting. This one hits me because I can be very apathetic. That's a big word for I don't care. Uh, my wife is just like, how do you let stuff roll off your back like that? Honestly, I don't care a lot of the time. That's not good, okay? I'm not saying be like Mike in this situation. I'm saying this is a confession time, right? Forgiveness is not ignoring or forgetting, being apathetic. It's not just letting it go. Okay, 
It's not. Forgiveness is not condoning or excusing. I'm not forgiving somebody by just letting it go. I'm not forgiving somebody by like, well, you know, they just don't understand. Or making an excuse for it. Forgiveness is not tolerating or allowing additional abuse. Somebody sins against me, I'm not just going to be a doormat. I'm going to forgive them, okay? I'm going to forgive them, but I'm not just going to let them keep on. Put it like this. If somebody did something to my daughter, I'm not going to just be like, hey, you can hang out with her again. It's not tolerating or allowing additional abuse. This one, this one got me too. Forgiveness is not reconciliation or restoration. It's not, okay, I forgive you, we can get back to normal. You see, forgiveness is part of a process. It's, it's a step. If you want to get to reconciliation or restoration, that's another step. Forgiveness is not this. Reconciliation and restoration take two people or two parties. Forgiveness only takes one. Forgiveness is all on me when I'm offended by somebody, when somebody has hurt me. It's all on me. I can think of times where people were really upset with me and they had been the offender and I forgave them and they could care less. Forgiveness is not reconciliation or restoration. Forgiveness is not getting back to the way it was. Sometimes there's a hurt so deep, you can't get back to the way it was. And forgiveness is not about getting back to the way it was. Forgiveness is about letting go. Forgiveness is about your heart. And there are times where it's not going to get back to the way it was. Forgiveness is not allowing the offender to escape the consequences. I am a sinner. I have sinned. I have sinned against God and Christ even after I became a Christian. I am not perfect. I I probably sinned today. There are sins in my life that even though I was a Christian, I still suffered the consequences of. There are choices from my past that still I suffer consequences from. God forgave my sins. He did not remove the consequences. Not all of them. Can I be, and can I tell you this? God does protect us from some of our consequences. What if God let me suffer all of the consequences of all of my decisions? I'm just putting that out there because, whoa, there's some floodgates holding something back. Forgiveness is not allowing the offender to escape the consequences. And I told you this is not going to be a complete lesson because I don't know what the next step of that looks like. Can I just be real? You forgave somebody. Now they got to suffer the consequences. What do you do next? I don't know. I haven't gotten that far. (laughs) When I figure it out, I'll let you know. You see, forgiveness is this really deep, intricate sensitive subject. And I know there are so many hurts in this room right now. Just 
proportionately, just statistically, that you're like, Mike, (laughs) you're talking some heavy stuff right now. I don't know if I can do this. I know. What I'd like to do before we get in to talk about how I can begin to forgive like Christ, I want to show you guys a video. Um, I love the Bible project. A lot of you love the Bible project. I, I'm learning so much by the way they teach. Okay. They take really big ideas, really intricate ideas and boil them down for people like me. And I stumbled across this video. I was not looking for a video for my lesson. I'm just doing my devotionals every day. And this popped up. It's, it's, it's a little bit long. It's like six and a half minutes long, but it, It explains this kind of in an indirect way. Let's watch this video. We all long for the world to be good, for people to live in peace, act with love and justice. But there's a problem. Something compels us humans to constantly wreak havoc and destruction instead. And we call this evil. And from the Bible's point of view, evil ruins things in at least two ways. There's a direct effect of our evil, like when someone steals from another person, they've created injustice. Hmm. You know, therefore, you know, they owe something to make it right. But there's another indirect effect of evil, because they've also ruined the environment of the relationship, creating a lack of trust, there's emotional damage. It's like vandalism, and they need to make that right, too. Now, many people believe, hey, God is good. He should be the one to just get rid of all the evil in the world. But let's be honest. I mean, the evil that I see everywhere out there, it's the same evil that's inside of me. We have all contributed, and and we keep doing it. So this kind of puts us in a bind. If God's going to rid the world of evil, he'll have to get rid of us. And this is what's so remarkable about the story of the Bible. This God is so good that not only is he going to rid the world of evil, he's going to do it without destroying humanity. So how is he going to do that? Well, early in the story of the Bible, we're introduced to this practice of animal sacrifice, which I know it seems weird to us, but for the Israelites, it was a very powerful symbol of God's justice and of his grace. So remember, I'm a contributor to the evil that's in the world. I should be removed. But God is allowing this animal's life to be a substitute. It's symbolically dying in my place. And the biblical word for this is atonement, which means to cover over someone's death. But there's a second part to this ritual. Remember, evil also causes this relational vandalism. And in the Bible, this idea is described as polluting or defiling the land and making it unclean. So the priest would symbolically wash away the vandalism by sprinkling the animal's blood in different parts of the temple. So the animal's blood is cleaning things? Well, remember, this is a symbol, and it's a symbol that we're not used to. The blood represents life. And the sprinkling of the blood is this representation of how God is cleaning away these indirect consequences of evil in their community. In the Bible, this process is called purification. And so the temple and the land now become a clean space where God and his people can live together in peace. So this ritual makes things right between Israel and God. And more than that, the Israelites experience God's love and his grace through these symbols. And by being forgiven, ideally, this would compel them to become people of love and grace too. Right, that's the ideal, but it wasn't always happening. 
Right. So the prophet Isaiah, for example, he talks a lot about this. He opens his book by saying that the continual sacrifices of the Israelites had become meaningless because they were also allowing great evil in their midst, ignoring the poor and the oppressed. Even the Israelite kings were distorting justice. (laughs) But Isaiah looked forward to a day when a new king from the line of David would come and deal with evil, but in a surprising way. The king would become a servant, and not just serve, but also suffer and die for the evil committed by his own people, and his life would be offered as a sacrifice. This is the promise Jesus believed he was fulfilling. He's the king of Israel, suffering and dying on the cross. In fact, Jesus himself used Isaiah's words when he said that he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that word ransom refers to a sacrifice of atonement. And so all over the New Testament, we hear about how Jesus' death was an atoning sacrifice for us. It covered the debt that humans owe God for contributing to all of the evil and death in this world. But the New Testament authors also talk about Jesus' death as providing purification. And so we hear about Jesus' blood as a symbol of his life, having this ability to wash away the vandalism that evil has caused in us and around us, so we can now live at peace with God. So that's the meaning behind Jesus' death. But there's more to the story. Yeah, the New Testament makes this powerful claim that Jesus' death was not final. He rose from the dead. And so he's the sacrifice who broke the power of death and evil, which means that he lives on to offer his life to anyone who will accept it. He is the perfect sacrifice to which all the previous sacrifices were pointing all along. So because of Jesus, the early Christians stopped participating in the ritual of animal sacrifice. But they were given new rituals. There are two that Jesus taught his followers to perform. The first is called baptism. Just as Jesus died, so going into the water becomes this personal connection you now have to his death. And in coming out of the water, you, so to speak, come back to life with Jesus. So baptism is this sacred ritual that joins your story to Jesus' death and his resurrection. The second ritual is called the Lord's Supper which is a reenactment of Jesus' last meal with his disciples, and he used bread and wine to portray his coming death as a sacrifice. And so now, followers of Jesus, they take the bread and the cup regularly to remember and to participate in the power of Jesus' death and in his life. So these rituals, they remind us of God's love and encourage us to live a life of love and grace. But they do more than that. They connect us to a new life source, The very power that brought Jesus back from the dead is the same power that can deal with the evil in our own lives and transform us into people who lead lives of love and peace. So, what that video really beautifully does is shows God's plan for forgiveness for us. Did you catch how, because we are forgiven we are supposed to forgive. Because we receive grace, we're supposed to give grace. I was like, I'm, I'm going through the Torah right now on my, in my quiet times. And this just, this just popped up in my devotional. I'm like, I gotta share this. This is, this is awesome. There's so much, there's so much power here. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, it says, Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil ones. 
we are supposed to forgive as we have been forgiven. So, Mike, how can I begin to forgive like Christ? How can I begin to have this mindset? Well, first, first thing I got to do is I got to give up my right to retaliation. But, Mike, the Bible says eye for an eye. I go, then we'd have a bunch of blind followers. Jesus said, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And I've heard a whole bunch of people talk about what that number actually means. It just means a lot. I'm supposed to forgive, not retaliate. Jesus is the only person in all of history who really had the right for retaliation. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Let us look only to Jesus, the one who began our faith and who makes it perfect. He suffered death on the cross but he accepted the shame as if it were nothing because of the joy that God put before him. And now he is sitting at the right side of God's throne. He accepted the shame. Jesus could have retaliated against us. He was perfect. He could have been like, no, they ain't worth it. I don't want to do this. I'm good. But he didn't. He forgave us. He got up on that cross. He died. He came out of the ground and he forgave our sins and made a path for us to spend eternity with him and his father in heaven. And now, as Christians, we are supposed to pass on that forgiveness. We are supposed to live like that. Jesus, Throughout the scripture, Jesus is talking about forgiveness. Turn the other cheek. Walk a mile. If you have to, if you have to carry their stuff for a mile, go too. Jesus is all about don't retaliate. Have love and compassion. Forgive. Be different. I love the chosen. I love the shirt that says get used to different. If we lived with that mindset, our world would notice. If it was less about, I'm going to get back at you, and more about, I forgive you, people would notice. So, I give up my right for retaliation. Number two, I change the attitude of my heart towards the offender. I tried to boil that down to a smaller sentence, and I just couldn't. I changed the attitude of my heart towards the offender. Again, Gary just talked about judging people. It could be really easy to get up on our Christian high horse and look down on people. But when God said, you are now a new humanity, big word, new ecclesia, a new called out one, you are supposed to be servants to the old to the old man, to the old humanity. We're supposed to be less than. We're not supposed to be on our high horse. We're supposed to be on our knees. Again, what would our world look like if Christians lived that? Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-8 through eight says, In your lives, you must think and act like Jesus Christ 
Christ himself was like God in everything, but he did not think that being equal with God was something to be used for his own benefit. But he gave up his place with God and made himself nothing. He was born as a man and became like a servant. And when he was living as a man, he humbled himself and was fully obedient to God, even when that caused his death, death on a cross. When you look at Jesus, do you see how he treats his offenders? Do you see how he treats his offenders? I'm just going to bring up my favorite story of Jesus. John chapter 4. The Samaritan woman at the well. Last episode of season one of The Chosen. Somebody was chopping onions in my house. (laughs) Swear. What Jesus did... When this woman was confronting him, because he's a Jewish rabbi in Samaria, at a Samaritan well, talking to a woman by herself. And she's like, you shouldn't be talking to me. What does he do? First, he moves towards the issue. Every time she starts trying to bring up why he shouldn't be talking to her, he brings up why he should be talking to her. He brings up why he should be there and in her life. And he literally moves towards her. He remembers her humanity. He remembers that she's a part of a fallen, broken world. And that she needs him. When I'm, a, when I'm wronged, how hard is it to remember that the offender is part of a broken world and they need Jesus just as much as I do? Just as much as I do. And then, the most beautiful thing in that story is Jesus offered compassion instead of hatred. Instead of animosity. (laughs) He tells this woman, who is quite literally the worst person on the face of the planet. And that's a whole other story. I can get into that another time. But he tells her, she's the first person he tells he's the Messiah. In the book of John, he reveals he's the Messiah to her first, the worst person on the face of the planet. She's talking about all the stuff when Messiah comes, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, no, I who am speaking am he. He could condemn her. She's shacking up with a dude who's not her husband. She's had so many husbands. She's by herself at a well without any other women. I mean, guys, we don't understand going to the bathroom in packs, but... It's a, it's a social thing, and so was going to the well. There's all this stuff she has going against her, and Jesus moves towards her. He doesn't offer the hatred that a Jewish rabbi would have normally offered a Samaritan woman. He offers compassion. Get used to different. I have to remember their humanity. I, ca- I have to change the attitude of my heart towards the offender. I have to remember that. If I want to think like Jesus. Number three. I remember that forgiveness isn't earned. Romans chapter 11 verse 6. And if he chose them by grace. It is not for the things they have done. If he. If they could be made God's people by what they did. God's gift of grace would not really be a gift. If I want to think like Christ, I have to remember forgiveness isn't earned. 
It's something that's given. And again, we talked before, it doesn't, forgiveness is not reconciliation, restoration. It's not forgetting. It's not excusing. It's not allowing additional offense. But it is a gift. And can I be real? It's not only a gift for the offender. It's a gift for yourself. Because if you hold on to it, I, there are scientific studies done about not forgiving and, and, and taking in that, that toxin of a bitter heart. These scientific studies show the detrimental effects of not forgiving on our bodies and our minds. And I know you all have heard this before, but I'm going to say it again. Not forgiving somebody is like drinking a poison and expecting the other person to get sick. I've seen it. I've seen the bitterness that that causes. I've seen the impact on the kingdom that not forgiving your brother or sister in Christ has. It's a foothold for Satan to come into our family and destroy it from the inside like a cancer. We have to be a forgiving people. If you don't forgive, you're going to lose sleep. If you don't forgive, you're going to not eat enough or eat too much. If you don't forgive, there are so many things that happen to people who have this bitterness welling up. Your other relationships are going to be affected. Your family is going to be affected. We have to become a forgiving people. And again, forgiveness is not restoration, reconciliation. All of those things we talked about at the beginning. This is just a step. This is just a launching point. This is something between you and God that God's going to get in and work on your heart and in the process is going to change the hearts around you. It's going to change, hopefully it's going to change the offender if you have that opportunity. But again, what Jesus said in Matthew, if they want to have nothing to do with you, they're going to have nothing to do with you. You do as much as you can on yours. That leads leads me to my last point, and this one is probably the toughest. Um, yeah, I will learn to to begin to forgive like Jesus when I forgive, even when I can't forget. When I forgive, even when I can't forget, I can't begin to pretend to know all the offenses that have happened to everyone in this room. But I know there are some that you just can't forget. That that saying, forgive and forget, that's crap. I know it is. You don't forget. We, we don't forget offenses. But the Bible says God does. In Psalms 103.12, it says he's taken our sins away from us as far as the east is from the west. And in Hebrews 8.12, it says, I will forgive them for the wicked things they did, and I will not remember their sins anymore. How do I do that? If I want to have the mindset of God, of Christ, of the Master, he says he forgives our sins and he doesn't remember them anymore. You see, as a Christian, when we were forgiven our sins at baptism, we put on Christ. 
That, that video showed that person in the water. And you, did you see the cross in the water? And when they came up out of that water, they were a new creation. They were part of the new humanity. And when God looks at them, they have put on Christ. So God sees His Son. He doesn't see a sinner. That's how He remembers our sins no more. Because He doesn't see Mike. He sees Jesus. He doesn't see an offense. He sees love and compassion. But how do we do that? How do we do that? I'm not God. And I can tell you right now, there have been times where I've been offended in my life recently, and I can't forget it. Cassie's reading a book right now called How to Forgive When You Can't Forget, I think is the name of the book, by Lisa Turkhurst. She says it's really good. I'm going to read it when she's done. Wish I would have read it already. There are There are books out there to help through this. There are counseling out there to help through this. Scripture is here. People who have gone through this are here. There are ways to walk through this. I want to have this mindset, but can I tell you, Jesus gave us a starting point. Back in Matthew 18, how do I forgive when I can't forget? You keep forgiving. Start there. Well, I've already forgiven him seven times. Do seven more. What about after that? Seven more. What about after that? Seven more. What about the 78th seven? (laughs) Start over. He didn't tell you to stop at seven times 77. That was just a playful way of saying don't stop. Because are you really going to keep track of how many times you've forgiven somebody? Yeah, yeah, good point. If you are, you guys, we need to talk about bitterness. Just keep forgiving. It's going to keep popping up. Really bad offenses are like monsters. You got to keep fighting them. Got to keep forgiving. Keep forgiving. Again, I told you this wasn't going to be a complete lesson. This wasn't going to, I wasn't going to end with a present with a neat little bow on it. I can't. I can't because this is a process. This is a walk. Whenever the offense jumps into your mind, forgive them. Mike, it was 25 years ago. The person's dead. Forgive them. Mike, it was five minutes ago. They're sitting across the table from me. Forgive them. Keep forgiving them. Unforgiveness in your heart is a poison. And it will kill you from the inside out. It will kill you spiritually. It will take your health away. It's not forgive and forget. It's forgive and forgive again. I can begin to forgive like Christ. When I give up my right to retaliation, I change the attitude of my heart towards the offender. I remember forgiveness isn't earned. And I forgive even when I can't forget. It's a good starting point. Again, I could stand up here for three hours and talk about forgiveness. But you wouldn't like that. You'd have to forgive me. I think all of us have something we need to keep forgiving. And I pray that with Christ's power, we can all move to that point in our walk with the Christian brothers and sisters around us, and we extend that grace that's been given to us, no matter how hard it is. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, You are so amazing. We are so grateful to be Your children. We are so grateful for the grace that's been given to us, for the forgiveness that's been shown to us. I pray that we can be a forgiving people. That we can show the grace to others that You have shown to us and that the world can see it and that the world can be changed because of the love that is shown through forgiveness. I pray that we can have this mindset like You where we're not counting how many times we've forgiven. We're just forgiving. I want to pray for the people out here who I know are, are, are struggling with forgiveness. I pray that they find a way to forgive their offender even though that might not mean reconciliation or restoration. I pray for that for their sake, that they can let go of the hurt and the bitterness that's in their heart and that they can grow in love and compassion and that your kingdom is strengthened and your kingdom is advanced and that we see wonderful things done in your name. I love you, Father. It's your name I pray. Amen.